0: Welcome to In The Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. As I'm not recording live sessions for a few more months, we're going to post newly remastered recordings from years ago. However, other than a few cultural and news references from the time of these recordings, the topics are timeless. Some of these were first produced on CDs and then later on MP3s, but none had yet been made into podcasts. This one is called Conditioned in Freedom. It was recorded in Ojai, California, in the spring of 2009. Ah, oh, so nice to be here. I'm smelling the orange blossoms. We humans, though, have all kinds of experiences, not just smelling the orange blossoms, of course. All kinds of travails, difficulties, irritations, and pleasures, joys, insights, and so on. We experience fear. We experience loss, worry. You read the paper, you feel like you're going to burst into tears. And each of us have our own crosses that we carry, of course. And yet, most of us do love life as well. All of these many experiences are floating through our awareness each and every day. And sometimes when something, a particular issue is up, the thoughts about that issue, the impending situation or the crisis one is facing, those thoughts will be coming more frequently in any given particular phase. This is normal and natural. It doesn't mean that you're not a spiritual person. From my way of seeing it it means you are a spiritual person. (laughs) You're a human being experiencing being human. And spiritual perspectives that seek to escape this very humanness of our nature seem immature to me, seem like fairy tales. It's not to make anyone wrong for needing to run to them. It's like religion, which promises a lot of um, phantasmagorical things if that gives some people comfort, well and good. But you may be someone whose discernment is such that it doesn't give you any comfort. And you're left with finding sanctuary in your own here-and-now awareness, in the deeper part of your being, in the deep still waters of your being, that actually is not touched by all these many experiences that you're having as a human being. You're having swirls of emotions, perceptions, conversations, and as I said, insights, and disagreeable feelings. These are coming and going, coming and going, coming and going, but they are coming and going in a stillness, in an internal stillness, you could say. That's an expanse inside that just lets it all roll through. That is non-reactive. And this is your sanctuary, from my point of view. This is your true sanctuary, not in a fairy tale, if only, oh my gosh, I hope that's true. I hope I hope this little belief I'm clutching to turns out to be true. Then we'll all be saved. <sighs> no, I wouldn't recommend that. Your innate intelligence might wake up one day and say, in the lack of all evidence for this, it is getting harder to believe in it. And then what? Then where are you left? No, don't seek sanctuary in fairy tales or in spiritual trainings that are not grounded in your own direct experience. But fortunately, in your direct experience, you do have this great sanctuary of your own. And it doesn't require any belief, any training, any practice. You can notice it right now. You can notice there is an innate quiet in your being. You may have to feel deeply into it because you might be distracted by thoughts that are going by. But I propose to you that these thoughts are going through this innate, still, vast Sense of being, a deeper awareness that is just in pure existence. And as you tune into that, as you feel into that, you start to feel it as the truest sense of yourself, the most familiar that ineffable, indescribable force of being that you experience as your fundamental self. And as you acclimate, as you become accustomed to noticing that, you relax. And you realize that, well, no matter what goes through the surface, whatever stresses, losses, irritations, or exalted feelings as well, bliss, it will come and go in that. But you make this taste, this simplicity, your default position, your primary taste. Remorse, regret, the things you should have done, the things that you wish you hadn't. All of these thoughts and feelings flowing through awareness. You may be conditioned in a certain way, have a certain type of program running through. Don't worry about that. Don't take it too personally. Go to where there is a deep, calm, a deep sanctuary. Live from that. And then you play out your humanness as a human being. You're not trying to be a holy roller. You're human. You have your humanness, your human presentation. And at the same time, you are living... In your own divinity? Um, So, when you talk about that, there's no practice, maybe it's just here right now. I mean, (laughs) it seems like there has to be some transition some access from ordinary perception to uh, uh, like a 24-7 awareness of your... No, you don't have to go for a 24-7. You don't? No. (laughs) (laughs) Just go for a now and again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then the the taste of the now and again is so delicious Mm -hmm. that it then becomes a bit more Mm -hmm. and a bit more. But it may not ever be Mm 24-7. We could well settle for being mostly living in a deeper awareness and occasionally in neurotic thought Mm -hmm. instead of mostly in neurotic thought and occasionally in simple awareness. Mm -hmm. That would be good enough, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. So meditation, do you? you... (laughs) Well, I'm speaking about a recognition. Mm -hmm. It's a recognition of something that is already occurring. Mm -hmm. So I'm speaking about, and you probably know it well, you're overlooking it, Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, despite all kinds of thoughts that have run through your own mental stream of awareness, Mm -hmm. there's this brightness right now, this luminosity of your own awareness that actually has not been... Stained or marred or anything by any of those thoughts. They've come and they've gone, Mm -hmm. isn't it? And here's your own awareness effortlessly hearing these words. Mm -hmm. Bright, shining, luminous, Mm -hmm. clear. You start to notice that's always there. It's always kind of left. This feeling, this bright feeling of being. This simple feeling of, oh, that, just that. And when you begin to kind of fall in love with that particular experience, which you're already having, Mm -hmm. your attention starts to go there more. So even though there will be lots of, you know, there may be a phase, I've just been in one, in fact, of tremendous little stresses piling up for days and days and days on top of jet lag. So... You know, I can feel the mental weariness from it, mm-hmm. right? And what that does for me, in my case, is it forces the attention to its sanctuary more, more quickly. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, I would just be screaming and kicking my legs on the floor right now. <laughs> but, um, but, but because there's this habit, there's this capacity for even in very times of extreme stress Mm -hmm. to keep falling to the deep water and just go quiet. And then so now there's this sense of, there's a turbulence on the surface, little nattering thoughts and, you know, details that have to get handled. This is not about personal drama. It's really functional Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. real functional travel and bills, and car broken down, and things like that, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, but, and so that's going on because, you know, one is in form, and, and one is a human being, and because also this particular system is slightly high-strung due to the conditioning of my childhood, I would suspect, mm-hmm. but a very kind of high-strung, so it tends to a bit of high-strung feeling. The deeper awareness doesn't care how the the surface awareness is behaving, or being, or experiencing, or whatever. It's just going on in this flow of mental processes. And the attention is, you know, fleeing, I would say, to the deep water, to the quiet, to the simplicity it's not really practicing anything it's just noticing that this is a possibility that's always there you can tune into it mm-hmm. it's like tuning into a quiet channel on the dial right mm-hmm. it's just that the the awareness tunes in it dials in itself to this deeper quiet awareness this this fundamental sense of self. It's not that you have to practice to get a sense of self. It's there. You wake up into it. You wake up, and before you know your name or you've gone over your to-do list in your mind, you wake up into just this simplicity of being. And the more you let your awareness start to tune into that throughout the day, As I said, the more you deeply relax on the deeper levels, and the surface may still be agitated sometimes, but the deeper level, the overall level, is getting quieter and quieter and calmer and is able then to float through lots of life roller coasters. They still come. but one's capacity for surrender and I mean this not in some passive sense but in the surrender to to reality as it is as it plays out like in the serenity prayer do you know that one? the serenity prayer, yeah that capacity just becomes more and more profound. And you could well imagine it serving you to the moments of your death. And along the way, in the aging process as well, which requires a lot of surrender. Okay. But your your capacity for that surrender increases as you are more and more with this simplicity of being. Everything gets easier. Is it like a, a gradual process or was there one day where you had sort of more ordinary perception, and a stronger, uh, well, just a sense of I and then you didn't? I'm not even talking about a sense of I because, I I, frankly, I find this whole business around the sense of I kind of irrelevant because on the surface you might have a sense of I. On the surface, what I'm speaking about, the humanity of it all, you have a personality, you have a sense of I that goes around and wants things and doesn't like things and likes certain people and connects with this one and doesn't like that movie and (laughs) all those things. And that's perfectly fine. It's appropriate, even. In the deeper sense, what you have is a profound sense of being. It doesn't label itself at all. It's not that it's feeling emptiness, from my point of view. It's feeling alive. But it doesn't have a label, and it doesn't have this connection to this big story. It's more just primordial. In my own case, what happened was I had been practicing in a Buddhist tradition for 17 years. I had been looking for certain types of insight that we were told to expect, mm-hmm. and none of them were showing up. <laughs> I mean, I was having certain certain perspectives of my own, but there were things that we were expecting such as at a certain stage... Anger would fall away. And then at a later stage, judgment would fall away. And then at a still later s- stage, even any notion of comparing oneself, and I'm not talking about negative judgment, comparing of any sort would fall away, and so on. We were told to look for these markers. And none of that was happening. I, you know, there was plenty of angry moments. As soon as I got up from the meditation cushion, there would be a flood in of, of the story. When I met Poonjaji, what fell away for me was any idea that there was something to do about my mind. I no longer was going to be messing with my mind. I wasn't trying to make it nice, altruistic, Mm -hmm. uh, quiet, nothing. I wasn't trying to tame my mind any longer at all. So this whole search of trying to tame the mind to get to some sort of quiet of the mind... That just went away. And then in its place came this great relaxation with things as they were, including my crazy mind. And in that great relaxation, the attention started resting more in the place that wasn't crazy, that was just being, that wasn't conditioned, that was just simply being. And so then it didn't mind what conditioned stuff was going through. And, it you know, you asked about, the, you used the word gradual. Sometimes I use the image of a shape-shifting of a sand dune that's being blown by the wind. So it starts out one shape, and you go back there next week, and it's shape-shifted, you know? That's how it sort of feels, that it's on its own. It's somehow you know, like the winds of awareness are blowing it into a different shape and that the the mad parts are not as loud. They're not that interesting so they don't get as much attention. And there's just more and more this deep falling into what is already there and easily there. And then with that comes confidence. The more you're resting in that And it sees you through so many difficult moments and exhaustion and sorrowful news and sudden deaths of people you love. And as it is tested in the fires of this life, your confidence builds from your own experience. And it's nothing you practiced. It's some kind of bizarre fate or something that some people can just have this kind of perception it makes sense to them and they and their awareness just starts going there more and some people their awareness starts going there very rapidly I mean I'm sometimes just astonished people come just one night and then the next time I see them maybe it's a few days later maybe it's a week later they'll say I just fell into that it made perfect sense I've wanted this my whole life I get it and other people you watch them it, it's it's a different process slower <coughs> again it doesn't really matter because it, it's good in the beginning it's good in the middle it's, it's good all along the way you know it's it's better and better mm-hmm. and I see Very, I'm happy to report that I see a consistent deepening with so many people. Consistent deepening. Even though the madness still arises. And sometimes they'll report, Oh, I've really been in a mad stage. You know, I've been in a really, I've been crazy lately. But if they look, if they step back and look at it, Overall, how was it really last year compared to this year and the year before? You can see the deepening just goes on and on with this love affair. So you go from practice to just falling in love. A lot easier. It's a lot easier to fall in love than to practice. <laughs> and have to perform and get somewhere. When you just, ah, oh, good, just here, this is good. Smelling the orange blossoms and being at ease. And you come into the animal nature of yourself in this simplicity of being. I like to say you become like an awake animal. You walk around, your senses are awake. And it's just, it's very ordinary. And you no longer are thinking of yourself as a spiritual person. That's a label that can be very separating and annoying. (laughs) You just feel like a human, a simple human, and people love it. People love, don't you love, being with someone who's just regular and simple and wise, who you turn to in your time of need and they say something that's helpful? And they say something that's helpful because you can feel that they're seeing you, not through the veils of their agenda, but because they're sitting in the center of their own being. And even if veils of their own agenda are flying by, they're sitting in their center of their being so solidly, so, well, let's say lightly, that they don't follow that agenda. You may be sitting in front of a a guy or gal, depending on your preference, who's, you know, incredibly attractive, and yet is in some sort of need, some sort of need whereby they need you to be a friend, a wise friend. Even though you may have your moments of that feeling of attraction floating through your awareness, as you are steeped in this perspective, being-to-being, self-unto-self, You're coming from that. It overrides the rest. It can override it anytime it wants. And so on. You're sitting with someone whose personality is one that isn't your cup of tea, and yet it's a person in need who has turned to you for whatever reason. You fall into being unto being, self unto self. The more you sit in it, the more you see it. You see beyond your own conditioning as needed. And you see beyond the other's conditioning as needed. And like that, it's not practice. It's perspective. And the perspective grows with the continued seeing of it. Another spiritual myth is this idea of 24/7. I don't know anyone who is 24/7 in a in a condition of perfect pristine awareness. We're humans. Mm-hmm even if the neurosis takes over for a while, you don't care, you know it's going to move on. Then you just... you walk in the dignity of your own deeper truth of being, and you also walk in the dignity of the, the conditioned personality of your being, which actually you didn't grow yourself, but is just there and you no longer have to be making apologies for it and trying to change it and trying to dampen it and all those things. That's real freedom. When you're just saying yes to yourself on all the levels, deep, superficial, (laughs) a little bit crazy, you're just saying yes, okay. And you have a preference where you're going to spend the most time you like the deep water. Feels the truest when all the rest is kind of faded out. It will be there. There's uh, there's a part of what you're talking about that really appeals to me, and that I can really sense, sort of resting in that um, in that space and that openness. The part that I'm less clear about is uh, I've done some I've done a lot of intensive meditation retreats, and during those retreats, there's a really penetrating quality where I come to see you know the things that are talked about in, in all the Buddhist writings, and there's that uh, sort of emotional cleansing and and the gathering of the mind that really penetrates and sees, and so I'm wondering in in this resting and in the process that you're talking about. Is there that same kind of deepening and beginning to see things like impermanence and is there a a sort of cleansing process that that happens and, and openings? Well, cleansing, I'm not sure I would use that word necessarily, although certainly as one becomes accustomed to this way of life, and really this is really about just a way of life. It's not about a meditation practice now and again, even in a deep retreat that one might do periodically in a year. Um, This is one that you walk around in. (laughs) You just are living this. And I don't say that there's some kind of purification that goes on. What I do say, though, is that you become less interested in neurotic thought. It still goes on due to conditionings, due to conditioned causes. And the conditioned causes, by the way, continue. This culture we live in is conditioning us constantly. It it, it has the, the most sophisticated advertising force ever in history at its disposal to condition us, especially to want things and to think that we're less than if we don't have those things. That conditioning is going on all around us. If you are at all connected to the media in any form (laughs) or if you watch television or go to movies, right, or even have conversations with people, the conditioning is there. It's very strong. Conditioning also goes on in the way of freedom. You can also become more conditioned in freedom by falling into this habit. It starts to condition your like I was saying, you know, here in a phase of stress that I've been in in the last week, the conditioning, my own conditioning, keeps fleeing into the deep waters. That's where it wants to flee. It just wants to sink and, oh, you know, just, just keep it simple, being. <laughs> being. And a lot of the experience of being is just here in the bodily sense, you know feeling and sensing and tasting and smelling and that kind of thing. So to answer your question, the interest in the negativity or in intense desire or whatever is arising that's kind of like a burning in the mind, that interest lessens. It lessens in the face of it being so difficult to maintain. Not because you're trying to direct your mind, but because your mind gets incredibly lazy about having to maintain the big story. And it doesn't want to. It wants to just rest. <laughs> and so, that's the difference. Again, it's not practice. It's like a love affair or a relaxation. And you just, you get used to it. You walk around as that. You wake up as that. And now, because there's also no pressure to have it be all the time, you're not grading yourself, you're not keeping track. Then you're free to just let the habit of it develop on its own. And it just does. It's inevitable the way that it develops, actually. Nisargadatta, the great Nisargadatta of the book, I Am that. He said, it's like a spark in a shipload of cotton. You know, you can just feel that, just like, oh, it's, it's just burning up all the resistance and the dross of the belief systems and, and the interest in the neurotic thought. What people often fail to see until this habit starts taking over more is that the way that the stories get maintained is through interest. The fact that they come, we can't do much about. But the way that they get strengthened and get kind of elaborate is all through interest. And if you're not that interested, the old reaction comes off, the old irritation, the old anger, the old fear whatever part of the story or the old desire, as it arises and you start to feel the contraction with it, the attention just won't stay with it. It just doesn't want to. It's painful, so it won't. And then it doesn't kind of keep creating these, you know, castles and building whole realities. You know, does every, do people know here know about this thing called Second Life that's going on? It's this very strange thing on the internet, which is a kind, literally a second life for people to sign up on this program, and you essentially get an you get an identity called an avatar that is just supposed to be you, your second life. And it has a life in this reality with all these other people online playing at the same time. And they're building, they're selling real estate. They have their own currency. People are actually making money in Second Life. And people are spending hours and hours and hours a day living literally online in this thing called Second Life. And I just amazing that that's actually happening explicitly online, but the truth is people have a version of that going even without being online, <laughs> just in their own head. You know, a second life that's they're dreaming. And some of it is real negative, as it is in second life on the online thing. Some of that is negative, too. You can have anything, you can be playing in any, I don't even know the complexities and the possibilities of it. But this, it, the same applies to the way that we sort of dream our lives, sometimes in just really dark neurotic thought, just constant worry and fear and pictures of what might happen, and, or pictures of what did happen, and on and on. It, you just start to lose interest. You lose interest in the face of something sweeter is taking your attention. Something more wonderful. Something simpler. And then, you know, another magical belief that people have, unfortunately, in this sort of the spiritual mythology, is that, okay, well, if I really surrender to that, then bad things won't happen. I'll just be in the flow. And then... No, that's also not how it works. It's not that you get protected from the losses that come in this life. It's that you're able to move with them with more grace and more freedom and more love and more clarity and more lightness of being. I am very sometimes. It's just very poignant sometimes when I see people who are burdened with this belief that, oh, I must have done something so wrong to have all this happening to me or to have this loss upon me. What did I do? What, 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 how was I thinking that called this in? And all this crazy baby stuff, you know, that really immature perspective that is hurtful to hold like you've already got enough on your plate and now to have to have this other guilt and feeling of, you know, no, it's not that. It's that in this perspective, you're bowing to what is. You try to make things better the best you can. You offer all up, your best efforts, but at the same time, you also are bowing to what is. And you bow so easily now because when you're sitting in this, first of all, you're sensing, I like to say, the blossoming and dying of all things. You absolutely see impermanence. How can you miss it, right? I mean, (laughs) you can't miss it. (laughs) So, Of course, you're seeing the blossoming and dying of everything. At the same time, you are feeling such a tenderness, such a sweetness for the beings in time. I I also like to say the beings in time, including yourself, that you land up in this feeling of empathy and love and kindness and delicateness with the way you are in the world that just sort of sees you through. And now you've moved from having all those things be good ideas spiritually, like to be nice and compassionate and practice compassion and all those things. It moves in, it goes into you internally. It becomes how you are because you can't help but be that way because of the place that you're sitting just like a mother or a father helplessly loves their child, right? It's not like an idea, oh, I should love my child. It's it's that you're helpless in the face of it. And these are the ways that this perspective starts to infect your being without practice, Even as I'm speaking, I can see it's infecting your being. (laughs) And it's doing so because you already know this very well. If you didn't already know this, these words wouldn't make the slightest bit of sense. And there are plenty of people for whom they don't. But people who end up in rooms like this, they come here because... They want to hear explicitly said what they already know. They come here, really, people think, they they might think they came here to be with me, but really, you came here to be with you because you missed you or you missed that part of yourself that knows this so profoundly and just wants it really affirmed. So in a gathering like this, It's a strong, osmotic affirming. You can feel it in the room. Very intimate feeling. Catherine, how how do you uh, respond to the idea that uh, this is a schoolroom for the soul's evolution? Again, it's a theory, but there's no evidence, (laughs) you know. (laughs) It's just a theory, it's a comforting theory. I mean, I've become really kind of radically practical on this matter, you know. I just don't have any beliefs. I've heard so many over the years. And I just come back to the directness of this experience, what you can sense. Actually, I'll, I'll read you something next time we see each other that Einstein said. What you can sense is that there is something breathing life. I mean, something. There's some force that is what we call existence that you can feel in yourself when you're quiet. You can feel that current, that life current. And one can easily surmise without any belief system that that is going on in everything and has been for quite some time and probably will continue to. That's quite enough in terms of a perspective. That's quite enough, having that sense of that force. Be your own. Then when you really tune into that You're living in eternity, but just, but just for a short while, while you're here. You're living in an eternal perspective. And then you're no longer concerned with the stories about whether your soul is having its lessons and, and passing or failing. <laughs> you know, it, it's no longer seen from that vantage point at all. The personal is is seen as very transitory. And that's very freeing from my way of seeing. Because you were talking before about the the bad the bad things that happen to us, and you know, not to feel guilty for all those things. And my thought came that this is sometimes it's how we learn things. It is certainly, um, but I'm not I'm not suggesting that there's some cosmic degree that we're going to get some of us do learn from our trials and our losses and our suffering and so on yes certainly and it makes us more open and and more empathic and it may make us seek this deeper quiet to rest in yeah other people that that isn't what happens when they go through loss and suffering Some people become bitter and hard and closed, and some do. So, so, and it's also not to condemn them or to feel that they're not learning their life lessons, but to simply see the limitation of their own conditioning, their suffering, perhaps as children. That it's just they're just too armoured for any new tenderizing. But it just seems to me we just have no way to know any any of these theories. And it's better and safer to stay with your actual experience. Your actual experience has this sanctuary. And then there's no pressure at all to learn the lessons even, you know. <laughs> you just hang out in your sanctuary, you know, and... Like it occurred to me a few years ago. And I know this sounds incredibly simplistic, and everyone probably already knows this, but it just occurred to me a few years ago that nobody's keeping track of me. Like <laughs> no one's watching. <laughs> Can you know that? Can what? you really know that? that well, that's I, true. <laughs> I, <laughs> let's say it this way, I don't know of anyone watching. So <laughs> And I think I used to have a vague sense that somehow <clears throat> there was some way that it's getting recorded somewhere, somehow or other. I mean, long after I stopped believing in any kind of religious perspectives or heaven or hell or any of that stuff, but still there was this, like, vestigial belief that was lurking around as though I better do it all just right or else I won't get the the good approval. And it occurred to me, actually, (laughs) that's not happening. (laughs) And it was so freeing. And my my own experience is that the more relaxed we are about all these things, the more, and the more free we are about all these things, the more that our innate goodness can shine with no pressure. You know what I mean? When it's just for its own sake, when you're not really trying to oppress anybody. Like, did you see Groundhog Day? Did you see the movie Groundhog Day? Oh, it's it so illustrates this point. And not to give it away, it's still worth seeing even if I tell you about it. This guy who starts out in the movie, he's kind of a jerk. He's a he's a news reporter. And by some magic that happens in movies, he ends up repeating the same day over and over again in this sort of out of the way little snowy town in Vermont or somewhere. And he goes through many different... He resists it. He, he, he dislikes it. He tries to commit suicide, and fa- he can't commit suicide because he keeps waking up the next day. And eventually, what works for him is that he just starts doing kindnesses throughout the day. Because he knows exactly what's going to happen on that day. He knows when the kid's going to fall out of the tree or when... He knows every, like, negative, harmful thing that's about to happen. And he just goes around preventing them exactly on time all the way through the day. And nobody remembers it the next day because they're repeating the day fresh. So he doesn't get any credit for, for having been such a good guy. He's just doing it for its, its own sake. It's so beautiful, actually. And I think we come to this when we really relax, when we really get it that nobody's going to condemn you. You're not going to go to hell. You're not going to miss out on your big chance of Satori. It's just way easier and more simple. And then you just deeply relax, and you can just be at ease and loving for its own sake because that's what feels the best to you. You can see how religious pressure and belief systems make people feel very bad inside and then they act out in the name of the Lord or in the name of Allah or in the name of whoever because they're basically driven almost mad and psychotic with crazy belief systems there's this experiment that i find the experiment itself is very disturbing but the results of this experiment i find quite mind blowing which is that they they take it's either chimps or gorillas and they put them in they put two chimps or gorillas let's call them chimps next to each other in two cages. And they feed one of them. And when that one eats, the other one gets a shock. Well, at the point that the first one who's getting the food realizes that his friend is getting shocked, he stops eating. He almost starves. He, the, the first chimp will stop eating to the point where he almost starves. he will only eat the tiniest amount. This is without religion, without a belief system, <laughs> without thinking they have to learn a soul lesson. This is an innate natural occurrence in a primate. And as I was saying before about the complexity of us as humans and our capacity for empathy, which is so much greater, I would say, even than chimps. This would just come, just would flow naturally.
1: Thanks, Catherine.
0: Yeah. Yes,
1: one last. Somebody said... um, Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yeah. And, um, I think that's kind of why you're here because to wake that place in us that knows that suffering is optional and redirect the energy back to the source of, um, what we really are. Not who we are, but what we are. Yes. And, um, it just, uh, in gratitude, I read your books and everything, but um, I, I just would like to um, say thank you for um, bringing this quiet place of availability um, into our awareness and, and consciousness. And, and uh, we all know it's there, of course, but um, we do lead a life in the fast lane a lot of times. And, mm-hmm. and um, just your quiet presence helps to slow the pace for us and help us to remember that on a level during the day's work.
0: Doesn't well, you know, I mean, I want to just just say that that saying, pain is inevitable but suffering is optional, I'm not sure that's true. It's not actually true in my own case. I mean, it sounds like a good spiritual saying, one that one would hope would be true. <laughs> but... I feel that, as a human being, we suffer with losses. We grieve the losses of our loved ones. And we will probably grieve the loss of our own life on the level of the humanness, and that there's nothing nothing wrong with that. In fact, I prefer to be with people who understand that very deeply. I often say, I only hang out with the brokenhearted, and that's the truth. I only hang out with people who have suffered or understand suffering very deeply. Because they're tender, and they're Mm -hmm. true, and they're real. They're vulnerable. And they're vulnerable. But they're also strong. And they're a lot more fun. (laughs) They are. They're a lot more fun. They have the capacity to really laugh and be joyous. So I, I really want to keep emphasizing this humanness, that there's nothing to be negated about it at all. Thank you. You're welcome. This has been in the deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katharineingram.com or on iTunes, Spotify, and other platforms. We'd be very grateful for a review, and we're also very grateful for any donations. You can help us out in either of these ways or both. In the U.S., the donations are tax deductible. And lastly, I wanted to remind our friends in the Victoria area that we're having Dharma Dialogues on the Mornington Peninsula on the last Sundays of October and November of 2022. Till next time.